0: All right, all right, <laughs> well, now that the kids are gone, we can get into the nitty-gritty. No, I'm kidding. They can, they can join us if they like. Um, but we're, we're going to be in the Book of Acts. We're going to bounce around a little bit, probably not as much as we did last week, but we'll be in Chapter 1, maybe a little bit in Chapter 2, and then even in Chapter 16. So if you want to just earmark those places, that's fine. Or if you want to just listen, that is A-OK as well. But the last couple of weeks or really the last four weeks, we've been going through the Gospels and and really we've been going through looking uh, at their themes, not necessarily looking at them as an overview or even a verse by verse, because otherwise we would have been here for well over 48, probably 36 hours if we were going verse by verse. Um, But uh, the first Gospel we looked at was Matthew, and it really showed us how Jesus's line was through Abraham. Mark the Gospel of Mark showed us how Jesus comes from Nazareth. Luke showed us how Jesus came from man and John shows us how Jesus comes from heaven kind of looking at Jesus specifically. Last week really we looked at Luke but Really, we didn't focus in so much on how Jesus' humanity is revealed, but we actually looked at the heart of God. And we looked at, if you remember Luke chapter 15, and and the heart of God through those parables, the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. So this week, we are looking at the sequel to the Gospel of Acts, or sorry, the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And as I mentioned, looking at beginning in the spirit or remaining in the spirit. But before we get into that, I figured we should set a bit of context and background to the book of Acts. If you have your Bible open, you'll see the title of the book. It says Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Apostles. In the Greek, there's no word for or the, at least not in that context right there. And so the proper title is Acts of the Apostolic Men or Acts of the Apostles. Now, it doesn't mean that this book is focused on them or the apostles, the 12, because if you go through the book of Acts, there's really only four apostles that are specifically mentioned throughout the book. James, the brother of John is mentioned, but that's only because he's killed by Herod. John appears uh, and and comes in and out of the book, but he really doesn't have much of a speaking role in the book if you will, or nothing is really recorded of him speaking. Peter is really the main character at the beginning of the book, but then he quickly fades to the background and we lose sight of him, where Paul then ultimately becomes the main character, especially the latter portion of the book. And because the the apostles as a whole aren't really the focal point of this book, some have suggested a little tweak to the title such as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because really that is what the book is focused on. It's focused on the Acts of the Holy Spirit through these men and women that are mentioned throughout the book. And I think either way, we could look at this as this is a book that is dedicated to the early days of Jesus, the apostles through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, birthing or establishing the church, because ultimately that's, as I said, what it is about. It's about the Holy Spirit working through men and women in the early days of the church. Now, as we saw last week, Acts and the Gospel of Luke are tied together. The author of Acts is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. Acts 1-1 tells us that this is the second volume, if you will, and the Gospel of Luke is the first volume, that both books are written to a man named Theophilus. Last week, I didn't get into who that man was, so I'll spend just a few moments at least giving some theories as to who it could be. The first idea is that it's not really a name, that it is more of a, a, a general title. It comes from two words, theos, which means God, and philing, sorry if I am pronounce it, which means love. And so you put them together, really it means lover of God. And so some people believe that this was a generic term that Luke was writing to those who are lovers of God, that they were believers. And so he was giving a historical account of jesus as well as the early church that's one idea um, the other idea is that theophilus was a person but he was more of a high-ranking roman official or someone who was in the roman government and if you look at luke the gospel of luke he refers to him as most excellent theophilus that could be better translated your excellency theophilus And so that is looked at as more of a title, your excellency is more of a title of who that person was or their prestige, sort of like we would say, governor or minister or whatever you want to say. And so Theophilus was a Roman official potentially. And Luke was writing to him to persuade him that Christianity wasn't all that bad. That yes, it may look bad on the outside because it was a sect or a break off of the Judaism that many knew at that point in time. And yes, there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of upheaval because of what was happening. But Luke may have been writing to say, hey, we are not the cause of that. It really is the Jews because they don't like what we are doing. Some even speculate that Paul or sorry, Luke is writing on Paul's behalf while he's in prison and he's writing to this Theophilus to persuade him to say, hey, Paul actually is okay because he's coming from a lineage of believers from Christ who was not all that bad. That's the second idea. The third and the last idea that we'll mention this morning is it's a little bit more romanticized or Hollywoodized, if you will. Is uh, that Theophilus again was a individual, but some maybe think that he was a slave master, someone who owned people in the Roman world. Then we looked last week and we saw that Luke was a doctor. Well, in those days and age, to be a doctor typically meant that you were a slave, and therefore Theophilus was Luke's master, and Luke was Theophilus's uh, doctor. And the idea, or as I said, the romanticized part of this is that Theophilus got sick or ill and Luke healed him. And therefore, Theophilus, to, be, to show his gratitude, released Luke from slavery. And Luke, in return, wanting to show his gratitude for his freedom, is writing to Theophilus to give him the only thing he had, which was a record of saving grace, the gospel and Acts. So which one is it? I'll let you debate over that one. I'm not going to ponder on that because history doesn't actually tell us. All we have is what is in Luke and Acts, a man that he is writing to, that Luke is writing to a very specific individual about the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ and the book of Acts. And ultimately he's writing to tell Theophilus of all that Jesus did and taught. But what's interesting is that the book of Acts is not just a simple historic book. It's a bit of a bridge book. It's a book that bridges the gap between the the Gospels and the epistles. And if you think of the Gospels as they are Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life, Jesus and, and everything that Jesus is about. But then you look at the epistles as that's how We outwork or we should be outworking that which Jesus taught. It's the doctrinal side, but it is also the practical side. Jesus said these things and the epistles are the application of that. But Acts gives us the bridge between the two. How did it go from just 12 disciples to a church that is literally turning the world upside down? How does it go from a guy who's persecuting the church, such as Saul at that point, who we will know becomes Paul, and then all of a sudden who's writing the majority of the New Testament? I mean, imagine all of a sudden you're reading a book called Ephesians, and you think, hang on a minute, this was from a guy, Paul. Last I heard, he was persecuting us. Why would I want to read a book by a guy who was persecuting us? Well, Acts actually bridges that gap for us. It tells us some of those things. But again, I think Acts is more than just a historical book and it's more than just a bridge book. I believe it is a book that opens the door to the early church for us. It reveals what life looked like and and as well as what the church looked like as it was being established. It helps us begin to understand what it means to walk in the spirit as Ephesians says and as Galatians talks about walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. This is what it began to look like for many. So in Acts chapter one, verse four and five, we have Jesus still on earth just before his ascension. And he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. But then after that, we, are, we have the account of Pentecost. If you turn with me to chapter two, verse one, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound of heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as of the spirit, uh, as the spirit gave them utterance. And so we have here the pouring out of the spirit upon the church. And I believe this is described as the beginning in the spirit, as that verse that we read in Galatians. How can you start in the spirit, but then change tactics, if you will, and think that you can work things out in the flesh? In many ways, what I'm getting at is that this is the birth of the church. The the church begins to set out on its mission or the Great Commission, as we see it making disciples. But. What's fascinating or or what I, I think is fascinating is how this relates to you and me is what's our beginning in the spirit moment. If you will, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as something as spectacular as what's described here, burning tongues of fire above our heads or, you know, a rushing mighty wind, although that could take place. I simply would say it's when we become believers. When we take that step of faith and we say, Jesus, I want you to be in my life, that is our starting point. I believe to some extent when we decide to follow Jesus in a moment, we put our faith in him, and that's the moment we begin in the spirit, if you will as we read, Galatians 3, 1, he, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He goes on, did you receive the spirit in the works of the law or by hearing by faith? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? And so when we come to faith, when we come to Jesus and we put our hope and trust in him, we do that in the spirit. We do that in taking a step of faith. We do that in saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm struggling here. So help me, Lord. It is that step of faith. But I think, and I think sometimes we like the church that's described in Acts, we're on fire, or we have a a zeal. Or or as Val pointed out, maybe it's not a zeal, it's more of an awestruck wonder of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, of how he is so good and so kind and so wanting us as we looked at the heart of God last week. But sometimes there's a change. Sometimes uh, we we take that step of faith and we think, yes, Lord, you you are so good, We, we trust in you, and then that's it. And then we go about our life, maybe not in the sense of uh, of of sinning, but in the sense of, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to, you know, do the next thing, whatever it is, not a sense of defying or willful rebellion, but simply sliding back into the old routine, sliding back into the old man, if you will, forgetting to seek the Lord's guidance. Maybe we look at the the profit and loss sheet, if you will, of the business or of our life and think things are going relatively well. What more do I need? But starting in the spirit is one thing. I guess the question, and I think what I like about Acts, is it reveals how the apostles, the men and women of the early church, remained in the spirit. I guess growing up, I always looked at the book of Acts as this supernatural book. I don't know if you if you read it you read it and there's a miracle that happens almost every chapter. And you're thinking, man, people are getting healed by by Paul and Peter just walking. There's these handkerchiefs that are just miraculously healing people, you know. And then you read the gospels and you even get the same sense that Jesus is going around healing people. And so I read that and I think, "Lord, that is so amazing, supernatural. But the reality of it is, is Acts actually covers the span of about 30 years. And so what's interesting is you can break that down to about a, a chapter a year, so to speak. And there's about one miracle in each chapter of the book of Acts. And so it gives a bit of perspective that, yes, miracles are happening. And yes, that is something that God can do. But it's not happening every day. And, and for me, that brought a bit of comfort and a bit of peace because I thought, Man, why, isn't there's these, why aren't these miraculous things happening? Why aren't people just walking, you know, me walking in my shadow healing people? Well, because God chose not to do use that gift in me at this point in time. But all that to say, are we looking for the miraculous? Are we looking for uh, supernatural? Or are we just in the mundane? Are we just in the routine of things? And, and not that I'm saying we need to look for the miraculous, not that we need to look for those things or, or, or that we can't even desire those things, but have we just gone about the day-to-day life? Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, because I, I really enjoy this, this passage because I feel like it brings the supernatural to the natural, if you will. Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his uh, missionary journey, and he, he's coming to the end of his missionary journeys just before he heads back to Jerusalem, just before he gets arrested and then makes his way to Rome. He's with, uh, he, he's on his way, and he's at the point where he's, he's sort of bouncing around, and pick up with me in Acts 16, verse 6. Now, they had gone through Phygera and the region of Galatia They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to into Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go macedonia concluding that the lord had called us to preach the gospel to them therefore setting sailing from troas we ran straight course to that place and so forth i won't try to pronounce it because i'll butcher it but we see here paul at least the, the mental picture that i get with paul is that he's almost you know um So we're not ping ponging, but um, bouncing around from place to place. And as I read this, I think, okay, um, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia. So they couldn't go to Asia anymore. They had come to Mysia and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them there. So passing by Mysia, we came to Troas and they were there that Paul got a vision. And so I have this mental picture. Maybe it's just because I'm looking at the maps every now and then. And it's almost like Paul went here, and there's this roadblock. And then Paul went there, and there's this roadblock. Paul went here, there's this roadblock. And, and I get this, this idea that Paul was trying to go to these places because he felt led to go to these places. But the question in my mind is, how did Paul know he couldn't go to these places? What is it that caused him to think, I can't go to these places? We're not explicitly told. We're not given an idea of the spirit speaking to Paul or, you know, big neon sign before neon signs were written, no, Paul, don't go here. You know, we're just told they couldn't go. I would imagine something along the lines of them praying, seeking guidance. Notice at the end of verse, uh, verse 10, Paul has this vision, but then he says after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go. And then remember those we statements includes Luke And so that means Luke and Paul and whoever else was there had a bit of a discussion. They had a bit of a prayer meeting. They had some sort of idea or discernment. Is this vision really of the Lord or not? They may have tried to go to those places and maybe there was a miraculous event that caused them to not go to those places, but it may have been there were just no boats There were no camels available or there were no whatever means of necessary. There was a clear distinction for them that God didn't want them to go that way. Now, in some ways, I wish it was for me, a neon sign. Jake, don't go this way. Jake, don't go here. Jake, take that, take that job. Jake, don't take that job. But in other ways, I'm actually really glad that God doesn't speak to us that way. As frustrating as it can be to not have neon signs, I think, at least for me, it is also good. Because if, if there were a, a neon sign, I would always be going for a formula. I would be thinking, okay, God, you spoke to me this way last time. Therefore, I have to do this. I have to do that. And I have to say these things. I have to pray this certain prayer. I have to go about these certain things. And I begin to get very, um, uh, you know, in the sense of, Rhythms and and patterns and I'm not and now I'm trusting in a formula and I'm not trusting in God whereas by him not describing what Paul how Paul discerned and how Luke discerned they shouldn't go that way it opens the door for us And and it's less about ticking a box it's less about making the formula right and it's more about trusting in him seeking the Lord it's that idea of We began in the spirit, we realized, okay, Lord, I trust you, I need you, but now we're remaining in the spirit. Okay, Lord, I have a new job opportunity. Is this you? Lord, I have an opportunity to get a house or Lord, where are we gonna put the kids in school? Yes, they've got the best curriculum and sports program, but is that the best fit for our kids? We are beginning to trust in the Lord, not so much in our own understanding. Notice verse nine verse nine of chapter 16, it says, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, that's pleaded with Paul, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. I love that because it, it's so clear, so vivid. So for us to remain in the spirit, we need to have a vision of the Macedonian man. No, I'm kidding, don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> you were all a bit worried there, weren't you? No, I think for, for us, We simply need to be open and willing to hear from the Lord. Maybe there will be a vision, but to be honest, I don't think I've ever had a vision from the Lord, and I maybe never will have a vision for the Lord. What's interesting, this week has been quite quite interesting, not just because of, of, of the beginning of the week with the cyclone coming, but then there's been a number of meetings that have been a part of this week that they're quite significant meetings for me in the sense that maybe I'm going to be changing directions with job. Don't worry, we're not moving anywhere. We're staying in the Hamilton Tiamuda region. <laughs> but but there's maybe there's things that are, are shifting in our lives. And some of them are like, why wouldn't I? There's a higher pay, there's a better hours, there's better things. There's, one friend texted me and he said, well, why wouldn't you take the job? And, the, and the <laughs> honestly, one of the main reasons I couldn't Uh, Two reasons was it's too good to be true. But then the second reason was, is the Lord in it? Am I seeking him in this job opportunity? Yes, maybe it is an opportunity to advance or to make a better career or whatever it is. But if God's not in it, then why should I take that step? Why would I take that step? So ultimately the question for us today is, if we've begun in the spirit, are we actually remaining in the spirit? You might be wondering, how do I know that I began in the spirit? Well, first off, if we took communion this morning, if you took communion, that means you have proclaimed Jesus as your Lord and savior, that you have asked him into your heart, meaning you've begun in the spirit. If you didn't take communion or you don't know Jesus as your Lord and savior, then I would say you haven't started in the spirit and that's okay. I would encourage you to come and speak to me or the elders today so we can speak more to you about what that means. But now the focus is, how do we remain in the Spirit? Or yet, are we remaining in the Spirit? Have we relaxed or set back, have we set cruise control on, if you will? Are we trusting the Lord to guide us in our everyday lives? Or are we simply trusting in our own understanding? I remember one thing the at the Bible school and we would teach through uh, the semesters, there was always this one point of, of the semester where we would have these, um, these outreaches. We would send the students to various mission, mission things. Sometimes it was youth camps, sometimes it was overseas, sometimes it was serving at a local church. And, and I remember there was always this turmoil in the buildup to these outreaches. And the turmoil was, where should I go? Where is God calling me? And, and as great and, as in, and sincere as that was, it was almost like, is there a bad option? Is there? Because you're going out and you're preaching the gospel. So is it wrong? And, and, and I think there's this balance between there of, Lord, where do you want me to go? I'm going to look at the 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 l sheet. I'm gonna look at the natural, the, the, the human logic of something. But at the end of the day, yes, I do need to trust in you. I do need to be guided to you. So practically, what does it look like? Look at Paul's vision again. He has a man from Macedonia saying, come and help. But I love what happens when he gets there. He travels over, notice <clears throat> in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to um, that place. And then and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there, Philippi, which was the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart and to heed the things spoken to Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And then the remainder of the chapter, it talks about how um, Paul um, casts out a, a demon from a girl. He's then thrown in jail. And then the jail, uh, while he's in jail, there's a bit of an earthquake and the, and the jailer ends up getting saved and his whole household gets saved. All of that to say though, did you notice where the Macedonian man is mentioned? He's not, he's not there. Think about this, you, you, you go and, you, and you're, you're trying, Paul's trying to go to these different places, he's trying to go to these different pla- areas and all of a sudden the Lord shuts the door. We're not told how, we're not told why, we're just simply told don't go. So then Paul's all of a sudden goes to sleep has this vision, vivid vision, so vivid that he says that's a man of Macedonia, meaning either the man said, hi, I'm from Macedonia, or he was dressed in the outfit of a Macedonian man, or he had some sort of cultural elements about him that caused Paul to think that man is from Macedonia. So Paul wakes up, and as I pointed out already, he and Luke and any that were traveling with him sat down and had a bit of a powwow, had a prayer, had a think, yes, this vision is from the Lord. Yes, we need to go to Macedonia and find this Macedonian man. So they go. Sounds like it took them a little while to get there. Once they get there, they go, okay. First thing is we preach the gospel to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That was their custom. So they get to Philippi, and they look for the synagogue. And you notice what they find? They don't find a synagogue. Because that means that there were less than 13 Jewish men in that city. If there were 13 Jewish men in the city or more, they could then raise the funds to build a synagogue. But when there was less than that, they didn't have the funds. And so that meant that they would meet at the river prayer. That was kind of the, 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 the written, the, the Jewish tradition that before they could get a synagogue established, they would meet at the river for prayer in, in a new city. So Paul says, okay, no synagogue. Let's go to the river. That's where they will be praying. When he gets there, he meets the women. So that means there's no Jewish men available or there to pray during this time. And so that means Paul's vision, was it wrong? Not at all. That was just the catalyst to get him to move. That was just the the opportunity for Paul to wake up and say, I need to go to that place. That was him being open to the spirit leading. So he goes, he meets with the women and he prays with them. And I find that so fascinating because as he's there, Lydia gets saved, her whole household gets saved. Then as mentioned, He casts out a demon more from frustration than anything else, and then he's thrown in jail. And then once he's thrown in jail, there's a there's an incident and the jailer is about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't. And so then the jailer's household gets saved all because Paul trusted and waited on the Lord. Paul was led rather than forcing himself into those places that he thought would be better, that he thought would be more significant. Some people have even thought that Paul's vision of the Macedonian man was actually Luke. Some have have speculated, Luke being from that region, that Luke is the one that Paul was supposed to meet. It is fascinating that it is shortly after or right around that point that Luke meets with Paul and they become traveling companions. This is the chapter where the we statements begin, meaning that Luke has joined him. Either way... The point is, Paul was available throughout all of that. So what does it look like for you and me? Again, don't worry, we don't need a Macedonian man vision. That's not something that I think is, is what the Lord's speaking through in this moment. But it is about seeking the Lord in all that we do. It is asking him, Lord, you have this opportunity for me. Is this you? You, you know, Lord, You want me to buy this house or buy a car, change careers, the kids, where are we going to put them for school or are we going to homeschool or what is it that you want us to do? Do we simply put our faith in the Lord at that one moment in time or do we seek him daily as we are at work, as we're with our family, as we are going throughout those things? Do we seek his guidance when we're choosing even the grocery store? I know it sounds a a little bit silly, but is there an opportunity to speak to somebody? And I'm not saying that we need to be walking through the grocery store with our eyes closed praying, although that might be unique, but you might be bumping into people. But are we seeking him on a daily basis? Because I think the intersection uh, of, uh, Acts brings this intersection of faith in our daily activities. It's not something to be compartmentalized. It is something that is to be every day. And I see that with Paul, that as he's bouncing from one place to another, he's trying to go. He is hearing from the Lord that, nope, that's not the place to go. Nope, that's not the place to go. Okay, I have this vision. Luke, what do you think? Am I Was it the bad curry the night before or was it something, is this the Lord speaking to us? So I wanna leave you with three Three things that I have used over the, over the years to hear from the Lord. Something I do to remain in the spirit, if you will, or to seek God's wisdom in a situation. Because as mentioned this last week, I've been offered a, a job and it has been one of those ones that is either too good to be true or it really is the Lord guiding. And so the first thing that I do is one, I seek his word. Is there anything that is going against his word? Can he, is he going to speak to me through his word? Is there, maybe there's a verse, maybe there's something in his word that is going to speak to my life. That's the first thing that I do. The second thing that I do is I seek godly wisdom. I seek counsel from someone else, someone who is older than me, maybe not necessarily older in age, but older in the Lord, who's been trusting the Lord longer than I have and who I trust and I rely on. And I ask them, hey, there's this opportunity. There's this event. There's this thing that is taking place. What do you think? And the Lord speaks through them. The Lord guides them. The Lord can say, Jake, you're blind as a bat. You shouldn't be doing that. Or, yeah, why wouldn't you do this opportunity? But then the last thing I I rely on or I seek is, The Holy Spirit, I truly sit back and I pray and I just sit, I try, don't always happen. You know, we have little kids or other things happening in the house. And I seek the Holy Spirit and I I seek his guidance. And the reason I try to do it, not necessarily in that order, but I try to listen to the word and the guidance before I get to the Holy Spirit, because I'll be honest, my, my flesh rears up. My, my own desires rear up and there's nothing wrong with God giving us the desires of our heart because that's what the word says. But I try to filter out my flesh before I get to that point in time. I try to get to that point of seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance in that because he will guide us. He will direct us in those things. And so those are the things that I do. And those are just a couple of things. And as Ian comes back up and he closes us in in a bit of worship I want us to think this morning and pray about not just being in the Spirit, but remaining. Are we like Paul and Luke, traveling in in life? Now, we're not going through Roman roads and on boats and ships and those fun activities, but we do have our own lives. We have our own activities, our own busyness and excitement. And are we seeking Him in those things? Are we seeking Him as we go to the store, take the kids to school, seeking those opportunities. And, and one, of the, one of my prayer points that I have been doing about this job is, okay, Lord, you're, you're giving me this amazing opportunity, but what about that time that I've spent at Countdown? What about that time that I, I've, I've, I've built a relationship with the people there? Is that something you, you want me to move away from at this point in time, or is it something you want me to stay there? And I think that's something to to be considered for each and every one of us. What is it that God is calling you to take that step in? And and maybe there's no step of faith. Maybe it's just a simple, what is it that your daily life looks like? What is it that you need to do in remaining in the spirit so that way you're seeking the Lord on a daily basis? So as Ian comes up and and leads us in a a bit of worship, in a closing song, I want to encourage you, pray about these things. Take some time. Listen to the Lord. And, and if you do have a step of faith or something that, that is big and you don't, you don't have a Macedonian man vision, seek guidance, read his word, ask for counsel from those that are around you that are believers in the Lord and he will speak to you. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you that you have a desire to speak to us. Lord, I thank you that you don't want us to just simply flounder or meander or drift, as Hebrews talks about, Lord, but you have a purpose and a plan for us. I thank you that you spoke so clearly to Paul, uh, not just in this vision here, Lord, but you spoke to him about the things that he was supposed to do and, and, as it says, to suffer for you. Lord, I pray that you speak directly to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we hear from you that you have a plan, a purpose, a desire for each and every one of us to preach your word. In whatever whatever sphere, whatever whatever context that we live in. Lord, whether that be at home with the kids, at the grocery store, at the job, at, at, at home with with mom, with dad, whatever context we're in, Lord, I pray that we are able to hear from you and and take that step of faith in you and remain being guided by your spirit. Lord, I thank you that you want to speak to us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.